1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I am Joe McCormick. And Robert, you have seen...
0: Horror movies of the 1950s. I know you've delved deep into
1: this. Uh, I've seen a lot of them, and the ones I haven't seen, I've I've watched the trailers. I mean, sometimes that's the best way to enjoy a film. They put all the best stuff in the trailers. But what was big then? It was Atomic Age
0: Panic, right? Oh, yeah, giant animals. Exactly right. So there's nuclear testing, there's atomic radiation, and suddenly animals become very big and one of the animals they would make very big you know quite well was the spider.
1: That's right. I mean with all of them all you need is a little camera magic mm-hmm. and you can make anything look big. You didn't have to worry about uh having some sort of fancy stop motion creature. You didn't have to worry certainly with CGI or costumes. No, you just, just an actual spider. Yeah, film a tarantula and then put
0: it in the background, mm-hmm. you know, superimposed with the different sizes. Uh, yeah, but, so there's a sequence in pretty much all these movies. I, I probably haven't seen them all, but I've seen some of them where the spider lives in a cave or something like that and the people are wandering near the cave and then somebody falls into its web mm-hmm. and the web is a hammock. It's just a hammock, <laughs> isn't it? It's a piece of like, it's white rope netting, uh, and people get stuck to the hammock and then the spider's coming. Sometimes they
1: escape, sometimes it eats them. It's generally a Bella Lugosi pretends to wrestle a rubber octopus level of awkward because you're like right. struggling you say, with the hammock. Just, just just get up and get out of it. You're clearly not stuck. Right. But there's a part we never see,
0: right? Now, often the person gets away. If the person gets eaten by the giant spider, mm-hmm. we just sort of see like a, ah, and then the spider's approaching, the music
1: swells, and uh-huh. that's it. What happens After that cutaway. Well, sometimes we find their bones later. Sometimes their, their, their cocoon body shows up later, but I can't think of a, a film offhand that had a prolonged, uh, spider, you know, death by spider death scene.
0: I guess they really didn't go for the intense gross out gore scenes like that in the 1950s. But even if they did, what would they be showing? What actually happens when a spider eats something at that scale? Yeah. And that's going to be the topic of today's conversation. So we're going to imagine a 1950s Roger Corman atomic radiation movie, uh, but we're going to take it to the next level and go beyond that cutaway. The movie is, I was eaten by a giant spider. But I guess first I should ask for real. What's your favorite giant spider movie?
1: Ooh, I mean, anytime a giant spider turns up, you're in for a good time. I I tend to lean more towards the stop motion ones. Mm-hmm. Let's see, 1975's The Giant Spider Invasion is I've a lot of fun. Never seen that. This one. This one was an MST. Really? Yeah, it was. It's really good. Uh, they're really good. Uh, it was <laughs> a really great MST episode. The they used actual spiders, as I recall, and there's a there's this like really gross kind of hillbilly character in it and giant spiders and somebody drives a car into a giant spider. Now how,
0: how big are the giant spiders?
1: Uh, they are like construction equipment, big, like, so they are ridiculous in terms of size. Um, uh, you
0: know, another one I remember from Mystery Science Theater three thousand is the I think Horrors of Spider
1: Island. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that one. That one's one that was it was black and white, mm-hmm. and it's just a real sleazy feel to it because it's like a oh, bunch yeah. of it's a really bunch of babes and like one very greased up muscle man <laughs> that are trapped on the island. He turns it's, into a. Spider. It's like
0: a it's like a dude who has a bunch of ladies who work on some nightclub act, and mm-hmm. they crash on a spider island. I haven't seen that one in years. fairly contrived. Come on.
1: (laughs) I haven't seen that one in years, but I do remember, like, it's a sweaty-looking movie, and I remember watching it on VHS in a very sweaty college dorm. (laughs) So it's just like, I'm just sitting there sweating at night, getting my night sweats on, and here's Uh this just sweaty, weird, oppressive movie.
0: Uh, Now, of course, another big point that I'm sure a lot of you listening right now are screaming is Shelob from Lord of the Rings. I remember that from the movies, but... Can I, can I admit a little secret? Go for it. I've never actually read the Lord of the Rings books what? in oh. full. I, well. I'm probably like the only nerd around here who
1: would admit <laughs> that and expect to get out alive. Well, they're good as I recall. I, I, I can't read them again until, uh, I don't know, maybe I'll read them with my son or something, but mm-hmm. I kept telling myself well, I'll, I'll read them again when I get the, the, the film adaptations kind of out of my head because I okay. don't want to read them again and have those visuals and, inform it. Though the visuals were often very good, in fact, I would say that uh, the giant spider uh, Shelob in the first Lord of the Ring film—I think no, it's was the, third the second one. one, the third one, the third one—I can't remember because I can't remember where that where she shows up in the she shows books up versus the movies
0: in the third movie when the hobbits are. Oh, here we get into it. <laughs> Okay, so the hobbits are in Mordor, the mm-hmm. evil land, where you know they're toward the end of their journey, but a big spider attacks them. Okay, I
1: guess it was the third movie. It's, uh, it, the movies kind of blur together for me, but, um, but I thought that that scene was fabulous. Like the, the spider, the computer animated is just perfect.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, a, it's basically a huge tarantula. We also, though, in Lord of the Rings, never see exactly what would happen if the spider began to feed. We see it bite somebody and cocoon them, but it never starts to eat anybody.
1: I have a vague memory that the the cinematic version of Shelob also had confusing anatomy mm-hmm. but there were there were aspects about it and certainly it's, it's perfectly fine for a monster spider from a fantasy uh product to have monstrous features that don't line up with with actual real world spider biology like i think right. she had a stinger or something oh or maybe there was some right. ovipositor yeah. action i'm not sure what yeah a stinger where like the silk spinnerets should have been yeah i remember she kind of like uh like pegged sam with it at the end that was kind of strange yeah
0: uh but yeah okay here's another one that i remember but not very well doesn't doesn't Tim Curry turn into a spider at the end of the movie It?
1: Yeah, uh, yes, the uh, the the 1990 TV miniseries. Uh, if you're like me, you, you probably have fond and disturbing memories of this. Uh, uh, I, this was a book I read probably too early, and then that film came out, and of course Tim Curry is perfect as Pennywise, the I Dancing Clown, and think- just traumatized a whole generation.
0: Yeah, as we've said on this show before. Any movie that Tim Curry's in, he's the best part. Of it. <laughs> Try to think of a
1: counterexample. You can't. Yeah, he was great. And and particularly, he was great in the first half of that miniseries, which was mostly the kids stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was the most effective part of that miniseries. I think the second part, not as strong, and it did include a big uh, <laughs> showdown with with it in a giant alien spider form. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually just looked it up on YouTube and watched it before we came in here. And, uh, it's, it's an impressive looking spider. It looks like a large animatronic kind of spider. So I don't know if it's really terrifying, but it is kind of a neat design. Okay. Doesn't it like come out of a
0: drain or something? Or they go into someone... a
1: cave and then it has like it, it shines its deadlights through its, uh, torso. I should uh okay. I should do some sort of like a monster of the week breakdown of it on the the blog cuz it's an interesting looking critter, but probably not uh, another non scientifically perfect spider. Yeah, even less so. And you know, it's a <laughs> it's a creature, it's like a, from the Totos darkness or whatever, so right. uh, you know, it's it can get away with being completely alien. But uh, there're plenty of other cinematic Giant spiders that are that look more like spiders, behave more like spiders, uh, I instantly think of crawl, of course there 's a fabulous sequence in there with a spider like she 's like a spider queen, and mm-hmm. there are giant spiders all along the web and there 's a lot of the the adventuring party has to make their way across it. Get stuck on a hammock? Is it basically a hammock in crawl? I th- think so. I want to remember it being a little more believable than that, because so many of the effects in crawl in are pretty top-notch. But mm-hmm. but I I, I I don't specifically remember. I think it was a stop-motion spider, though.
0: I see you have a note here, Robert, about an Ewok adventure.
1: Yes. So um, we have a lot of Star Wars fans in the office, um, or at least we have Holly. And Holly is enough of a Star Wars fan to, like, represent multiple people i think she's like step, she's our like colleague a, holly fry is yeah, yeah. i asked in history yeah, she class. is a she's a tremendous uh, star wars fan and i know that she has a, a warm spot in her heart for these as well some people don't care for them but there were a couple of live action ewok made for tv films that came out the first one was 1984's uh, caravan of courage and ewok adventure and that one features uh a giant some giant spiders mm-hmm. and, on a web it's been a long time since i've seen that one and I remember it being good but also kind of traumatic because there's a lot of, like, people losing their family members in it. Oh, no. Um But then there's also a follow-up. I think it's the Battle for Indoor. And that one's – I have a lot of fond memories of that one. would we'll watch that one over and over again on VHS because it has essentially orcs in it. Whoa. It has an evil – a uh, seductive like Raven Queen who can turn herself into a raven with a magic ring. Nice. There's a there's a, a crash spaceship and its pilot is Wilford Brimley. Whoa! Yeah. So it's uh, it's a tr- that's a tremendous film too. But only the first one has a giant spider. And finally, a more recent giant spider, not too giant, but giant enough to be disturbing. If anyone out there is currently watching the latest season of Black Mirror on Netflix, the second episode, I believe. Is uh, is is wonderful um, horror Halloween viewing and does include a scene with uh, a monstrous spider. But I awesome. won't say any more. I'll get, I'm going to have to check that out this weekend. Uh, anyway, I wanted to
0: move on to the next thing, which is that today we are going to be talking about people getting eaten by giant spiders. Mm-hmm. But uh, I want to frame this with a reminder that it is simply wrong, in my point of view, to contribute to global spider panic. And I will not allow us to contribute to global spider panic, even if only by accident. Spiders are not your enemy. If you're a human and the spider is a normal-sized spider that's not, you know, at least ten times bigger than the biggest a spider could ever get – Spiders are are not something to worry about. They generally pose no threat to humans, with the the small exceptions of a few species, that even those are not something you should really worry about. There's no good reason you need to go around squashing spiders. And in fact, you would probably find a world without spiders utterly intolerable.
1: They make it okay for us to live on this planet. Now, now, Joe, I know some people are, are thinking right now, and maybe even writing the email, they're going to say, hey, what about the black widow spiders and the brown recluses that live in my shed? Should I not kill those on site? Should I allow those? No. Why do you need to kill them? I don't know. I mean, a lot of people would argue that. They're saying, "I, this is my shed. This is where I go to get my tools. I don't want to grab a hoe and then have uh, a black uh, widow spider sting me uh well i don't know or not sting me rather, but bite me sting me st- with his little sting like she She,
0: Lob. she- Lob is is totally polluting my brain yeah. uh, I mean, I guess i can 't argue with what you do in your shed but uh <laughs> but i i don't we do not want to push an anti spider message here spiders spiders perform essential services for human beings and and really all the other creatures on earth, and I would say one of the primary things is insectivorous services. So spiders are primary predators Mm -hmm. that prey on insects imagine a world in which the primary control on insect populations is gone. Mm-hmm. You know, we've just squashed them all because we didn't like the way they looked or we were afraid of them or something like that. Uh, I found one article that interviewed the arachnologist Norman I. Platnick, who works at the American Museum of Natural History in New York, which is probably the coolest place I went this year. Um, and uh, Platnick speculates that if spiders were to disappear from the earth, it's likely that human beings would face famine. He says... Without spiders, all of our crops would be consumed by these pests, the pests that are primarily controlled by spider predation. So it's hard to know for sure what would happen in these weird hypothetical scenarios with ecology. But I think that's a pretty safe bet.
1: To- yeah. And, you know, and it comes back to come back to uh, black widows, for instance. Uh, sure, you don't want to be become bitten by one. But that black widow is there because they are insects to eat. Mm -hmm. So she's doing a service. Right. And if you're concerned about there being an an, an imbalance here Mm -hmm. with too many black widows around, then I think one possible solution would be just to don't knock down those uh, dirt dauber wasp nests. No. Because they in turn prey on the spiders. Or that bring them back to their nests anyway for their uh, their brood to uh, emerge from and consume. So allow the web of life to work itself exactly, out. Exactly, exactly. And the waspness I, of, of life to work its way out. I
0: must add too, as uh, in accordance with the research that I that I was working on for this episode, even most black widow spider bites today do not result in death. Like mm-hmm. you don't want to be bitten by a black widow but if you get one if you get a black widow bite seek medical attention you will probably be all right i think i read that since 1970 it's been like 1% or less of people bitten by black widows end up dying and
1: i think i've also read that every night the average person consumes 27 black widow spiders <laughs> just in the course of sleeping they crawl right in there that is a true fact <laughs> that's where we get essential vitamins
0: and minerals
1: all right so what are some other reasons that w- that we should keep the old uh, arachnids around well beyond the fact that animals deserve to live for their own sake they
0: are useful to us for plenty of other reasons spiders have a lot of biomimetic technological uses that people are learning more and more about all the time one of the things would be their silk for example
1: yeah indeed we uh, we actually have an older episode that uh, that just rolls through all the various ways and reasons that we're trying to steal the secret of the silk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really, I mean, it goes back to ancient mythology, too. Um, what's it? Uh, Arachne who, mm-hmm. um, who lost the bet uh, a, a weaving bet with the gods. Uh, or looming i guess they were using a loom uh, but at any rate uh, yeah the, the silk of the spider is uh, an amazing material a, a, a true metamaterial um, they have special glands that secrete silk proteins dissolved in a water-based solution and the spider pushes the liquid solution through long ducts these ducts lead to, lead to microscopic uh, spigots on the spider's spinnerets spigots yeah don't
0: you wish you had spigots <laughs>
1: <laughs> and and uh, and generally there are two or three spinneret pairs located at the rear of the abdomen furthermore each spigot has a valve that controls the thickness and speed of the extruded material so the idea here is that when we're talking about um the the silk of a spider it's not just that they have a little spool of thread in there or that it's just you know a silly string type situation Mm -hmm. there is a manipulation of these uh uh, of these uh, proteins, and, mm-hmm. and the, the there's a, an actual weaving that takes place. They're forming a material, and uh, the, the, act, the exact form of the material will vary depending on what they're using the silk for. I mean, even with a, with one spider individual, they may, may be producing various uh, versions of the product depending on what they need it for. Huh. So as the spigots pull silk molecules or spidrons out of the duct, out of the ducts and extrude them uh, into the air, the molecules are stretched out and linked together and they form these long strands. Mm-hmm. And the spinnerets wind these strands together to form the sturdy silk fiber. OK, Um Most spiders have multiple silk glands, which secrete different types of silk material, optimized for those different purposes. So by winding different silk varieties then together in varying proportions, spiders can form a wide range of fiber materials. They can also vary fiber consistency by adjusting the spigots to form smaller or larger strands. So they're they're true marvels. I mean, it's not just that the material is great, but just their manipulation of it and their creation of it. Like, they are... The, the, there's just a level of, uh, of of engineering and production going on with, with the spider that, you know, most people take completely for granted.
0: And, of course, the silk is very interesting, as I mentioned a minute ago, to uh, engineers for, like, material science purposes to study this to see, you know, can we make something like this at a larger scale that would be useful in, mm-hmm. in building our structures and technology?
1: Yeah, because it's, it's like a perfect material. It's it's strong, but it's uh, flexible. Um, it's organic in nature, so you can use it in various uh, uh, biomedical properties. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can use it. it, it, There are a lot of uh, potential applications in artificial limbs, artificial tissues, artificial tissue scaffolding. Um, I've also read possible for parachuting, like really anywhere you could use a really remarkable, strong, but flexible material, uh, spider silk has a potential place and it, spider evolution perfected it and and we just would bio, biomimetics are just c- catching up with it
0: you know I have also read many stories over the years about using spider venom for medical purposes one story in particular I remember was about using it to treat erectile dysfunction is that correct this
1: is correct um, and and if anyone's like ooh spider venom I mean really when you look at at medicines, uh, the vast spectrum of of medicines that we uh, we we take from the natural world, mm-hmm. in large part, we're making use of poisons and venoms. You know, right. we're just figuring out what does this poison or venom do, and how can we interact with it at the appropriate dosage or the appropriate level? How can we exploit those properties for our benefit? So, in this case, let's talk just a second about erectile dysfunction. Existing erectile dysfunction drugs manipulate valves controlling blood flow into the penis. Uh, but they don't always work. In fact, they don't work on one out of every three men who require an ED drug. Mm-hmm. So we send in the spider. Specifically, <laughs> we send in the Brazilian wandering spider, uh, also known as the banana spider. Um, they, however, rarely crawl on bananas, uh, which, you know, you it will make sense in just a second here. So. <laughs> <laughs> These are 5-inch uh, or 13-centimeter arachnids. They carry a venom that can cause pain, swelling, increased heart rate, and also uh pre-epism which is a condition that affects those blood flow valves that we already talked about. Uh, and this results in an erection that can last for more than four hours, is usually painful, and may happen without sexual arousal. So we're talking about blood potentially coagulating and clotting inside of the erection. That's that how dire horrible. the situation is. So obviously that's nothing that one wants for oneself, but it's a great example. Here's the venom. We see that it's interacting with this area uh that is uh, that is vital for uh, erectile drug creation like there's a lot of money to be made in manipulating those valves mm mm-hmm. And so a lot of research has already gone into this. Uh, the uh, researchers have worked to identify the natural derived chemicals in the venom that might be taken advantage of. And so far, they found that pntx 26 6 is uh, the active compound in the wandering spider venom. And it's essentially a biological version of Viagra. <laughs> it even appears to have fewer side effects than existing ED drugs. Uh, However, to conduct a proper trial, you have they have to be able to replicate the stuff in large enough quantities. Hmm. And this is a situation we get into with both spider venom and with spider silk. Spiders are very difficult to farm.
0: Yeah, I I remember reading a story uh, years ago about people who were weaving a garment out of spider silk they were taking these, uh, orb weaving spiders, I think yes. in Madagascar or somewhere, mm-hmm. uh, and harvesting their silk in order to weave this dress that, uh-huh. uh, that sounds like a crazy project to me. I'm not sure if that's well advised. But anyway, I think they had to keep capturing and then releasing the spiders over and over. Uh, in order to harvest their silk
1: because you can't just keep them. Right. Yeah. It's not like a silk worm where, where we have a, a silk producing, uh, insect that we have, <laughs> that we have domesticated and warped over time into just a, you know, pure silk creating organism. Uh, but with spiders, most of them are territorial carnivores. They're highly aggressive against anything, especially their own kind. There are social spiders that exist, and these are actually these are actually pretty interesting. I, I hadn't done a lot of uh, reading about them before. That they're not quite eusocial in the manner of uh, bees or ants, not team players. Right? They don't have casts or anything. There are no worker spiders, et cetera. But they do cooperate in the rearing of young and the acquisition of food. Uh, that that being said, most of the spiders that people seem to be looking at. To potentially farm are not social spiders. Hmm. Uh, so anyway, either way you lo- you shake it though, way too much work would go into any attempt to raise spiders uh, in little individual enclosures, and you would still get only a limited amount of s- spider venom or spider um, or spider silk out of the the, uh, the effort. So it sounds like you'd want to find another way to produce this stuff, right? You want genetically modified spider silk or spider venom. And in fact, that's what's led to for instance the the creation of the blessed goat spider hybrid. Oh yes. Which uh we've covered on this show before, I believe. Where you let's make a let's let's tinker with the genetics, let's create a goat that essentially milks uh spider silk. That's <laughs> the wonders of our modern age. So that is where researchers uh, have been looking with uh, with the, the spider venom of our banana spider. Uh, in 2014, researchers successfully created a recombinant, uh, baculovirus with the PNTX26 gene, and then they used this to infect a culture of caterpillar cells which produced the spider toxin. However, human trials are still years away, but this could be the shape of, uh, futuristic erections. Wow, just just letting everyone know. Spider-shaped, yeah. Well, not Uh, spider-shaped, though. I get one can't help but you know that you have your sort of sci-fi horror um, uh, lights go off when you start hearing about uh, about erectile dysfunction drugs that are made from from spider venom. mm -hmm. Uh, But I think it'll be I think it'll be fine.
0: Yeah, I've seen also research about using spider venom in uh, in anti pain pain medication, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, in analgesics. So there was a 2015 study I found in the British Journal of Pharmacology which indicated that, quote, spider venoms are a rich natural source of HNAV 1.7 inhibitors that might be useful leads for the development of novel analgesics. So uh, the, the creation of new painkillers out of naturally existing proteins and stuff that are found in spider venoms.
1: All right. So I guess the, the take-home here is that spiders are – high-level, uh, produce, they're, they're high-level poisoners. They're high-level weavers. Um, they have a mastery here in these crafts that humans, uh, are severely lack. All we can do is try and steal their secrets, and we're still trying to steal their secrets, so we certainly should not wipe them out because there's still so much to learn from them. Of course.
0: And that that's only the mercenary appeal to your self-interest in, yeah. in gaining new technologies. I want to say for the record again, spiders deserve to be here on this earth just like you do. Yeah. <laughs> but okay, so back to the giant spider. Yeah. I was eaten by a giant spider... What does the word giant mean there? I guess we should determine what we have in mind. Now, we could start by looking at what are the biggest spiders occurring in nature. I know some of you at home are already trembling at hearing about this news, but uh, th- there are a couple ways you could measure this, right? Mm-hmm. One way would be by mass. What is the heaviest spider occurring in nature? And I think the answer on that is is pretty solid. It, there There is a pretty much universal agreement that the answer is the Theraphosa blondi, commonly known as the Goliath bird eater. <laughs> that name might be a bit of a misnomer because it it doesn't seem like they primarily prey on birds. I think this comes from some, you know, 19th century illustrations and stuff okay. like that. But, uh, uh, so, like I said, there's no evidence that they regularly eat birds, but they might on occasion. The spider can weigh about six ounces or 170 grams. That's heavy. That is the weight of more than three standard size Snickers bars or exactly five fun size Snickers bars. Oh, okay. Hold five fun size Snickers bars in your hand. Okay. That's how much the spider can weigh. Wow. Well, I'm glad we're not eating those in our sleep. I've heard, st- <laughs> I've heard stories that you can hear these things walking as they <laughs> walk. You their footfalls make sounds. Uh, now, of course, they mostly pl- prey on other arthropods, but they have been known to eat small vertebrate animals every now and then. Uh, but there's another way you could measure the largest spider, and that would be by leg span, right? What's mm-hmm. the biggest? What's the biggest spider in circumference? Sort of looking down from
1: above. Well, it appears to be the giant huntsman spider with a leg span of up to 12 inches or 30 uh, centimeters, often described as being, uh, quote, the size of a dinner plate. That shows up a lot. Yeah, because, you know, that's a wonderful image, the idea of setting down and here's a living spider just spread out across your dinner plate. Well, it also, yeah, it suggests that it's literally on the plate. It's in your home. It's replaced your food somehow, or mm-hmm. the, the chef has gone mad and decided that it's live spiders for dinner. Um. <laughs> Now, uh, where do you find it? You find uh, this particular specimen in warm climates around the world, Asia, Australia, South America, Africa. They're pretty fast, uh, even with their size. They live under a loose bark, on bark of trees, under rocks in uh, crevices uh, under foliage and uh, they're actually a rather social spider um, to go back to what i mentioned earlier and dozens of them will sometimes sit together on dead trees or stumps as opposed to the sort of typical predatory uh, loner uh, vibe of a spider where it's like if i see anybody that even looks like me i'm going to eat them Hmm. even if they're my mate well spiders just know
0: not to pass up a good meal
1: yeah uh okay so, so that's about as big as
0: things get in nature. And even those are pretty rare exceptions. These are the biggest of the biggest. Obviously, that's not going to do it, right? It, these spiders don't really represent a threat to humans, even though they're the biggest. So how big should our model spider be to match the Roger Corman movie proportions?
1: Well, in this, we get back to some, with some previous discussions we've had about the, the morphological limits of giant creatures, because right. you end up going up against two things, right? What is technically possible Mm -hmm. from, like, a mad scientist, uh, you know, raising giant spiders in his basement uh, versus, like, what is the largest thing that is sustainable, that the largest thing that is effective in the uh, in the battle for survival? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it needs to work. It's like a business, right? If it's it needs to it needs to be in effect, have an effective uh, economic uh, flow to it. Otherwise, it's not going to survive. And uh, you know, one way to, to look at it, this we always we always go in this direction when you're saying, well, all right, how, how large could this animal be? Well, how large are they now? We've already answered that. Right. How large have they been in the past? There was a time where we thought that the largest spider uh, to ever live was a prehistoric um, um, uh, megarachne with a body length of 339 millimeters, or a little over a foot. But uh, paleontologists eventually figured out that this was a sea scorpion not a spider and if you the, the actual fossil spiders that we have are pretty disappointing they're pretty small yeah. so if we we kind of get into the you know whale territory here where we say well actually the largest specimens that we know of are what we have today mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I th- we've talked about this before. We talked about this in our Science of Human Height episode. We had a brief mm-hmm. digression on, on how large, uh, insects and spiders and stuff like that can get. And there seem to be a lot of limits on, yeah. uh, on the size of these creatures, on arthropods with exoskeletons. Their, their bodies are just not designed to keep getting much bigger.
1: Like, no bodies are, really. I right. mean, it, it comes, <laughs> it, we often talk about King Kong, right? Yeah. Like King Kong the gorilla. As just a giant gorilla, his legs would snap. Yeah. Because those are,
0: would die of heat exhaustion. Yeah.
1: Maybe, like that yeah. form is not, is not designed or, you know, or did not evolve to, um, to, to work at greater scales. And the same thing's true of insects. Like for, at, at an insect level, having an exoskeleton is fabulous. It right. gives you, uh, gives you protection. It's uh, lightweight. Um, and then, uh, you tend to be rather strong creatures too, mm-hmm. uh, but, but they're working in a different scale. And when you start, start scaling that up, you run into problems of, okay, is the, for instance, a giant spider, the size of a dump truck or something probably wouldn't be able to move. Shelob would probably not be able to move. Right. If you just, just immediately, like magically, honey, I shrunk the kids, scaled one up to a giant size. And then on top of that, all right, you're going to say, well, what if it just grew over time? Well, you're gonna. You have to remember that exoskeletons don't grow. Exoskeletons have to be shed. You have to molt out. Molting, of them. yeah. Yeah. So it's like soft shell crabs, etc. The thing is, if you have a sufficiently large invertebrate, then it okay. It has this, this, this giant exoskeleton and mm-hmm. it's hard and it's rough, but somehow it's able to live with this thing. Maybe, maybe it's an immobile giant spider and like v- villagers worship it and bring it, you know, <laughs> virgins to drain or something. Uh, okay, that's great. But then what happens when that giant god spider has to molt? Well, then conceivably it might uh, molt out of its uh, exoskeleton and then its body would just collapse and fall apart because it didn't have, it no longer had an exoskeleton to support it. Its mass is just too excessive.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, it's like trying to imagine—I um, don't know—I'm uh, <laughs> coming up with a horrible example. Here's one. Here's what I, right what, here. what I, I tried to think of, uh, like a you know, twenty-foot-wide pumpkin or cantaloupe or yeah. something. The, it's just this is not a sustainable size.
1: For I, I always come back to, to economics. It's yeah. like thinking of all right, what would it be? I have a great lemonade stand. What if I had a lemonade stand that could feed the entire country? Wow. what if i had a mcdonald's restaurant that could that could actually feed an entire continent or feed they'll feed the world those are just ridiculous ideas right. because the form you can't get people just, in the door yeah know. it just does not does not work you're you're talking you're talking nonsense, and it, it's a similar thing. Like a, a lemonade stand that feeds, that gives lemonade to the entire country is like a spider the size of a building.
0: Right. Okay, so we've established why in, a, in an environment with our atmospheric pressure and Earth
1: gravity and all that kind of stuff, you would never see a giant spider. It yeah. just wouldn't happen. Now, in a weightless environment, genetically modified uh, giant spiders, I think there's a lot of potential. There. Oh, okay, maybe.
0: That's not bad.
1: But, but... Uh, let's just roll with it,
0: okay? We're, we're going to Roger Corman land. Uh huh. Just pretend we can ignore all that stuff and say we do have a spider. I don't know, the size of a van. Or how big would a spider have to be to prey on a human? Uh, depending on, you know, its, its predatory strengths on its venom and stuff like that, it probably wouldn't even have to be the size of a
1: van, right? Yeah. I, I was thinking about this and it, and and also I kept running through my mind, um, Me and my son watching a, a Blackwood, a spider uh, on our vacation to Arizona, watch it uh, try and catch a, a grasshopper in its web mm-hmm. and thinking about those, uh, the, the size comparisons there. I think a large spider, like a hunting spider, the size of a dog would be pretty, pretty impressive, but not maybe not so large that you would really run into a lot of just r- real severe morphological limits. Okay. Kind of like the, the dog costumes you see where the, uh, around Halloween, <laughs> where the do, the dog is wearing a spider costume.
0: Okay. Maybe that, not a puppy sized spider, but like a moderate sized to large dog sized spider.
1: Yeah, I would think so. You know, and if they're, and especially if that creature is hunting the humans with stealth, uh-huh. as opposed to, you know, magic web, but then that's the other thing. if scaling up the scaling up the web is an entirely different <laughs> kettle of fish but uh but yeah i think a dog sized spider would be able to do it okay so that's our lower limit
0: uh, let's say on the other hand we can keep in mind the possibility of a of a you know moving truck sized spider mm-hmm. or a van sized spider the, the we'll, we'll just have those floating in our mind
1: okay okay we won't ask a lot of questions of them but we'll
0: just have them there all right well let's take a quick break and when we come back we will discuss
1: By visiting musicgives.org.
0: All right, we're back. Now, Robert, we have to talk about how these spiders catch you.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, there, there are so many different species of spiders, there are so many different hunting strategies right. that are utilized by spiders. Uh, the, the most familiar is going to be the web, of yes, course. Yes. But even with the web, there are multiple types. So you have, just to roll through them real quick, you have uh, orb webs, the most common, mm-hmm. a typical spider web. You have triangular webs as well. You have funnel spiders that make uh, sheets of silk and then wrap them up into make uh, these funnel shapes. Mm-hmm. So the funnels have one big opening to catch prey and they also have one small opening in the back in case the spider needs to escape. Mm-hmm. So it's not sticky, but the spider can easily move through them. This is its home turf. This is its kill room. Okay, wow. So I, I like that idea. Like somebody just wanders into one of these, and they're like, what the heck is this giant cone? Mm-hmm. I don't know. No. Oh, goodness, there's a hunting spider on the ceiling, and then they got you.
0: Yeah, the, the most common uh, web traps we think of are these flat ones, the orb webs. But mm-hmm. uh, another one is the three-dimensional traps, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, they're, a f- take for instance, cobweb spiders. So they make small, just random messes of silk string that are attached to their surroundings by a long string. Mm-hmm. There are uh, mesh web spiders that uh, make webs that are similar to cobweb spiders, but they have a little more structure. And they're usually found in small, messy webs at the tips of vegetation, especially in grassy fields. Mm-hmm. They can also be found under stones and dead leaves. In the human scenario, maybe they would show up, I don't know, in the restrooms of strip clubs <laughs> or, um, the, or the restrooms of uh, of gas stations. I'm thinking just the restroom in yeah. general. A dirty restroom is a great place to find a giant... Bathroom stall. It slider. is the perfect place to get you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. I love that as the tagline for the the, the resulting movie here. <laughs> sheet web spiders they make uh, uh, many kinds of webs that are formed out of sheets of silk and the sheets are wide, uh, wildly jumbled together and they don't have many large gaps. Uh, there's also an interesting uh, sheet web spider type bowl and doily spiders. They make really interesting structures, essentially an inverted dome shaped web or bowl suspended over a horizontal sheet web or doily. Spiders hang on the underside of the dome and they attack the prey. So we're talking about some rather impressive structures. Now here's what I'm wondering: if we scaled that up, and tr- again
0: with all of the reasons that would probably never happen in nature, mm-hmm. but if we just imagine scaling it up, would we would we actually stumble into webs? I mean, is the, are the success of webs sort of depending on the uh, lack of sensation of insects or something? Do you, do you kind of have to be a little bit dumber than a standard primate in order to end up in a spider web?
1: Well. It, I think it's interesting to think in terms of the, uh, the funnel spiders, uh, that I already mentioned in that part of this trick is creating an alien environment that the spider has maximum control over. Mm-hmm. So it's how, you know, you, you might be dumb to wander in there, but you're not dumb to not know your way around this alien environment. It's like walking into a, a xenomorph hive, right? Right. Or into, yeah. you know, a derelict alien spaceship and not knowing which way, where to walk and what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, that whatever lives there and eats there is going to have the advantage. Well, the 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 kill room analogy you had is a good one. It's also like at the end of
0: Silence of the Lambs when uh, when uh, Joe Foster goes into Buffalo Bill's house. Exactly.
1: Exactly like that. And then even more complicated, he's got the drop on her. Yeah, he's got the drop. But imagine if he also had a decoy involved as well. What? Because there, uh, there are these uh, spiders known as, uh, psychosis like spiders. And they create a double of themselves. They, they, they essentially craft a large spider from leaves, debris, and dead insect parts. That is amazing. Uh, and have it in the web, yeah. <laughs> In this way, it, you know, confuses predators, uh, specifically. So if the spider is disturbed, it vibrates its body. But one, so it's primarily a defensive technique mm-hmm. against things that want to eat the spider. But I guess that would also be true if you had random Jodie Foster's, uh, random, uh, Clarice Starling wandering into your kill room and trying to apprehend you. Well, yes. Uh, I mean, Buffalo Bill does have to defend himself against Jodie Foster. She yeah. is
0: there to catch him and she has a gun. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, the traps don't end there, do they?
1: Oh, no, no. They get rather complicated, especially when you start looking at trapdoor spiders. Can you imagine
0: this on the human scale, the scaled-up scale? <laughs> You're wandering along some dry ground, mm-hmm. and suddenly the ground under you shifts. What's happening?
1: I know. Yeah, this is perfect. This is, um, I guess, to put this in horror movie terms as well, this would be like a a Saw movie kind of thing. I can't think of anything else recent uh, where anyone's actually busting out a trap door. Uh, you, you know, it used to be the standard Bond villain uh thing. But, yeah, trap door uh, spiders prey on uh, uh larger terrestrial anthropods and even occasionally on small lizards. They build tube-like tunnels in the sides of banks, Uh, in uh, disturbed areas along natural insect walkways. They dig the tunnel, reinforce it with a mixture of earth and saliva, then a layer of silk. And then there's a door. So there are two types. There's the cork-type door, which is thick and fitted. The other is a wafer-type door, which is a sheet of silk and dirt. Uh, both are silk-hinged. So mm-hmm. they're really creating a, a, a rather complex structures here. Now, some species keep it simple. Others craft branching tunnels with multiple doors. The species also differ as to whether the tunnels are simple or branching with multiple doors. So I guess it's not so much a jigsaw kind of scenario in that you're falling in, mm-hmm. but something is in there uh in its little uh, disguised cave ready to jump out and get you. That is classic horror movie fodder. That that's good stuff. But also uh
0: we should talk about the other types of spider predation. Now, of course, all spiders produce silk, but not all of them use it to spin structures with it. Some of them make I don't know what would you even call it, more like a weapon with it. Yeah. Uh so how how about the bolus spider?
1: Oh yeah, they, uh, they hunt by using a sticky capture blob of silk at the end of a line, which scientists call bolus. And if you see video of this, they actually spin it
0: around like a lasso. Like it yeah. would be hanging from a web, spinning this line of silk around in the air and then snagging a moth with it.
1: Yeehaw. So yeah, that's a great example. It's using it like a, like a grappling hook or like, uh, like scorpion's, uh, harpoon in Mortal Kombat, right? Oh, that's good. And then on top of that, you have uh, net casting spiders as well. Uh, when the prey approaches, the spider will stretch the net to two or three times its uh, relaxed size, and then propel itself onto the prey, entangling it with the web. So these would be like the kind of like the gladiators with the trident, I guess. Yeah. Uh, in uh, uh, in gladiatorial combat. Oh, would they have like the net, like the fisherman-style yeah. radiators, right? they got a net and a poke you. And then some, sometimes uh, uh, there are some spiders of this type that have an extra technique that they use to, to help them pick out their prey at night. This is pretty ingenious. So you have a particular uh, species of uh, these spiders that in addition to any kind of structure they may have built, they'll also uh, spray feces on the ground, uh, which will dry white. And then any dark animal that has to run across it they're going to stand out. Oh, I see. Get them. So there's so many levels of of not only utilizing traps, but really maximizing the environment, creating a. I keep coming back to the kill zone, the kill room example, creating yeah. a customized environment that they have total mastery of.
0: Yet again it's hard to imagine exactly what this would be like scaled up to monster movie size spiders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't know if it really translates, right? I mean, it's yet another one of those things where sometimes it's hard to fit this to our to our weird premise. A lot of this stuff seems to work on the small scale. Uh like I don't know, would would uh, would spraying the ground with feces work for for a giant one of these things?
1: Hmm. I mean, I guess we just have to stay in the light, right? I guess. I mean, or would a, a large spider that preyed on humans have to get even more inventive? Would it actually use its webbing and its decoys to create like an entire, entirely functional, um I-75 rest stop? <laughs> To create a a party with free beer. Yeah. It's like, sorry, it's all spider silk. You don't know do you go to drink it. Yeah. So there are lots of
0: methods of spider predation that obviously involve silk in one way or another, creating traps and stuff like that. But there's also the the much older, simpler, more universal hunting tactic where they just chase you down. (laughs) They just run you down, bite you bite
1: and subdue yeah maybe jump out from behind a tree or something but
0: so i was wondering about the speed of spiders try to imagine we've got the scaled up spider again Mm -hmm. ignoring all the physics constraints how fast would it move if it moved relative to its speed on the ground the answer is hilarious. So, uh, so I want to <laughs> uh, reference. That there are some papers on spider gait characteristics and and running speed among uh, spider species that are like uh, these grass funnel web spiders. Uh, Hololena is the genus and research has shown that under experimental conditions a couple of species of funnel-web spinning spiders in the the Hololana genus can perform sprints occasionally faster than about 50 centimeters per second which works out to about 70 body lengths per second for these spiders now imagine if you could sprint up to 70 body lengths per second if you're six feet tall uh, that's 183 centimeters. That means if you could move as fast as this spider relative to your own body size, you'd be able to move 128 meters per second. That's about 1.4 American football fields per second. Oh, wow. Now, if you imagine a predator that could kill you could sprint up to 70 body lengths per second. If our giant spider has, I don't know, a 10-meter body length, and can sprint 70 body lengths per second, that's 700 meters per... I mean, that obviously, that's not going to happen in reality. But these things would be able to chase you down in ways that are unbelievable to the human mind.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's hard to even imagine how that would scale up. The best I can do is to try and imagine it taking place in a, like a Dungeons & Dragons tiled map. The, the grid, even, yeah. yeah. And even then, that's a ridiculous amount of speed. Why would you have that many grid squares? <laughs> battlefield that big
0: it's unmanageable contact your dm <laughs> okay so uh other fun adventures in predation there is one family of spiders that i love known
1: as the uh uloboridae the Uloborids. oh yeah these guys are great because they uh they they actually crush you and I say you, I'm speaking of course to small insects. Mm-hmm. But, uh, they crush their prey with their webbing. They wrap them up in a, essentially a body crushing iron maiden of silk. Yeah, there's a species
0: particularly, uh, we've read about the, the Philippinella vicina. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they have this method of wrapping you in silk that is so tight that your body structures are crushed inward. They say that the legs snap,
1: uh, that like the eyes buckle in. Yeah. It's, it's pretty grim it it reminds me of uh, I think there's a scene in uh killer clowns from outer space mm-hmm. where they utilize uh some sort of silly string contraption that works like this but but yeah the researchers have apparently observed uh these uh spiders spending a hundred times as much effort over an hour to wrap a prey in eighty meters of silk, so that's two hundred sixty two feet, which seems crazy,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's not scaled to what we're talking about. That's just like the tiny spider. Yeah, yeah. Producing that much silk to, to wrap the prey this tight. Uh, and actually I've got some more interesting stuff about how the, uh, this, the species eats in a bit. But so one reason they need to do this is because these are actually not venom producing spiders, that's right? That's right.
1: They don't have the, the powerful bite. So what do they gotta do? What do they, what, how do they start softening up their prey to consume? They have to drool all over it.
0: Yeah. Put and, you in a straight jacket, Yeah, tighten it as much as possible, and then begin the vomiting.
1: That seems to be the predominant theory, yeah, is that they, they basically, they know they're going to have to drool up over this stuff, so they want as small a target as possible. Let's just go ahead and crunch it all up, make something small so I'm conserving my spider drool.
0: Okay, well, let's get more into the details of how they drool on you and... uh <laughs> Uh, that's maybe even the nice way of putting it. Of what would happen to you as the eating process actually begins? Now, first, I guess we start with you being immobilized. You've mm-hmm. been caught in a trap by a trapdoor spider, in a web, in a, in a silk lasso, or you've just been chased down and bitten. Uh, one of the things that's going to happen with pretty much all spiders except the Aloberidae and another, uh, genus known as the, or not genus, another family, I think the, uh, the holarchaidae, is that they're all going to have venom. And the venom glands are attached to ducts that travel down the length of the uh, chalicerae. And those are the, uh, the the mouth part structures, right? Like the, the fangs are attached yeah. to the end of the chalicerae. And then uh, the ducts come down to a hole at the tip of the chaliceral fang. And they'll hit you with that and rapidly contract their muscles to eject this cocktail of venom into you. Now, the venoms vary from species to species and the venom cocktail is generally, well, it's a cocktail, it's heterogeneous, right? So Mm -hmm. it means they contain multiple different toxins and different chemicals doing different jobs. So a common spider toxin is going to be a neurotoxic polypeptide. It's a chain of amino acids that attacks the nervous system uh, and the prey can expect to experience some distressing systemic effects and paralysis. But different spiders are going to going to hit you with, different venoms there there are going to be different things you'd have to expect we we can't uh, there's no one size fits all but from this stage it's generally going to be on to the eating all right we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we will be consumed today's episode is brought to you by ebay ebay motors is here for the ride
1: they are going to consume us. Right. So, the spider has you immobilized, perhaps
0: wrapped in a cocoon of silk, maybe subdued with a venomous bite. And uh, the purpose of the venom is to subdue and paralyze the prey. I've read that the fact that it often kills the prey is technically an unnecessary side effect. Plus, we should keep in mind that venom is designed to work primarily against the spider's major food source, which is arthropods, other invertebrate insects. So you are not an arthropod, unless you are, in which case uh, we are preparing Earth for your arrival. <laughs> but when the spider starts to eat you... You a mammal? I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe you'd still be alive and paralyzed. You might be dead. It's hard to say.
1: It kind of comes down to: did did this thing evolve to prey on humans? Like no, how, it didn't. Of course, yeah. How atomic radiation, Robert? Yeah, but, it, but that's the thing. Like it's a it's a tool for a particular particular purpose. Mm-hmm. And unless you're dealing with some other worldly environment where humans and giant spiders have co-evolved for this relationship, it's going to be a little uncertain. It's going to be a little off. Exactly right. So
0: how does it start to eat you? Well, generally, spiders consume a liquid diet, but I'm not a liquid. Robert, are you a liquid?
1: Um, I'm mostly
0: liquid, but... You know, I mean, if I were to go and eat you, mm-hmm. you would not. You, I mean, your body has lots of liquids in it incorporated into cell structures. So you're going to have to get those out somehow. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So. Hmm. <laughs> so something's going to have to happen here. Right. Yeah. So what's going to happen is that the spider begins to vomit on you. Uh, this can happen in a couple of different ways, which we'll get to in a moment. But the essential process is that the spider ejects digestive fluids onto you, and these digestive fluids contain enzymes. Uh, the fluids are truly caustic, and here's one example to illustrate, which I thought was fascinating, from a 2012 study in the Journal of Arachnology. So we're gonna go back to the, uh, Oloberidae, the, uh, the spiders that don't have their own venom clans, right? And they crush you with that silk structure. So, uh, the, this is the same species we mentioned earlier, the Philippinella vicina. They usually pose on their web in a strange posture. If you've ever seen this, they they keep their legs folded in against the body. And it's been hypothesized that the reason they pose in the web like this is to avoid visually signaling predators. So there might be a bird that wants to eat spiders or something. It knows what a spider looks like. But if you don't pose in a way that gives away the fact that you're a spider, the bird might not recognize you as prey. Um, But when the allobarid begins to eat, It does something strange. It gets out of its regular posture and spreads its anterior legs or the front legs wide apart. It holds them way back. Why does it do that? Well, the authors of the study point out that, you know, the spider's method of eating, this illobarid, is to wrap its prey in this ridiculously tight amount of silk, compress it into a compact package like a garbage compactor, and then just vomit all over the entire thing. So most spiders are going to take a slightly different route where they uh, eject these digestive enzymes through a small hole in the shell of the prey insect or over a small surface at a time when they're eating. Not peevicinna. This will just slather the entire thing. Essentially, it's making a huge mess. So the researchers asked, huh, I wonder if the spider it's, is holding its anterior legs away from this mess because the same digestive enzymes it's using to dissolve its prey would also dissolve its own body. And their research found, bingo, that does appear to be what's happening. The authors found that the spider's digestive enzymes, when applied to detached legs from the same spider's species, uh, they cause the setae, meaning the bristles, to fall off of the legs, and they also cause damage to the intersegmental membranes between the different parts of the legs. So imagine if you had to eat by, uh, so you got a plate you're sitting down with, you got a hamburger on it, mm-hmm. and you have to eat by vomiting Hollywood acid all over your food. Like straight
1: up Brundle Fly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, and then also that stuff would give you chemical burns if you touched it with your own hands. So you'd sort of have to like vomit all over and then hold your arms back and slurp it up. (laughs) But anyway, uh, let's get back to being the prey. You're not the spider in this scenario. You're the prey. So obviously, you've been immobilized. The spider starts to apply this digestive fluid to you. Now, obviously, if you've been attacked by a giant uh, uh, P. vicina, you're going to be crushed into a tiny ball with a tight wrapping of silk. So we can basically say it's lights out then. The, the spider will dissolve your entire body with these enzymes and suck up your liquefying body parts, holding its legs back in a very dainty fashion as it does so. Um, but what's going to happen if it's not this species, if we're dealing with other types of spiders? And here a lot of my information is going to come from a really delightful arachnology book called The Biology of Spiders by Rainer Felix. Uh, so for most types of spiders, feeding differs significantly based on whether or not the spider has what's called uh, chlyceral teeth. So the spider have the chlycera, you know, these are the mouth parts that have mm-hmm. the fangs at the end of them. But some spiders have have these these teeth structures, these sort of grinding surfaces on the inside of them, and some have very few of these or don't have these structures at all. Either way, the general process is that the spider is going to barf. It's going to regurgitate some digestive fluid onto the prey, wait a few seconds for it to dissolve some tissues, and then it's going to suck that liquid back in and then repeat ad victorium. Uh, so what happens when the spiders don't have these teeth, I mentioned the, the cholesterol teeth or have very few of them. Uh, there are a few families of spiders that are like this. So there's the pteridiidae, the, uh, comb-footed spiders or tangle web spiders. And this is a big family of spiders that includes the Latrodectus genus, which are the widows. Ah. And then also we're going to include the, uh, thomasids, which are crab spiders, So these guys work typically by creating a very tiny hole in the outer shell of the prey, which they they might poke with the chalicera, and then spitting digestive fluid into the body cavity through the holes. That makes sense. So you've got an insect with an outer exoskeleton, and you're going to be stabbing a hole in the outside and then just putting some of this digestive enzyme inside through the hole. The process is continued uh, until the prey is sort of left as a dry, empty shell, like the digestive enzymes
1: in, and then it sucks some fluid out. It's kind of reminiscent of some some mummification techniques that have been employed. Oh, really? What are you going to do about all that nasty stuff inside the creature? Well, you can try and drain it out. You can try and putrefy it or what have you. And this is kind of like that. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, you
0: are essentially left with a dried up husk of a creature, which yeah. is mummy-like in its, uh, in its, uh, outer, uh, appearance at least. Uh, so in the end, most of these interior tissues are gonna be dissolved, sucked out, and delicious. And to me, I, I wonder if the, so I was left to wonder, what a spider that works this way would make of an animal with an endoskeleton rather than an exoskeleton. Mm-hmm. So does the exoskeleton work as an important type of container for the process, if that mm. makes any sense? Would a spider like this trying to eat a mammal without an exoskeleton be kind of like if we tried to eat a bowl of soup without the bowl?
1: Yeah, because it's essentially making you into a soup inside your own exoskeleton. Right. Right uh so i i I wonder I don't know hmm. it, w- mammals might not be
0: all that uh that enticing to spiders like this, but then again, I don't know it, it could be they may find some way around it
1: yeah i mean or, they they have by and large evolved to prey and eat up eat uh invertebrates I mean, yeah that's their realm of uh of influence
0: uh yes, and also we're going to get to the toothy spiders in a second, but first, I want to hit a myth. Robert, I don't know if you thought like this when you were a kid. I definitely thought this when I was a kid, and I know some people probably do think this, that spiders – Suck the juices out of prey animals through their fangs. Did you think this way?
1: Um, I think I did. I, I don't know how much of that was like directly due to science texts in school or mm-hmm. my, or if it had to do with something I picked up uh, elsewhere in cartoons or something, but well, yeah. I vampires.
0: I often think of vampires this way, I, yeah. or I used to, that they would bite you with their fangs and then it would be Sucking not with like the mouth through the esophagus and the stomach, but the blood that they drain from you would be going up through the fangs somehow into a blood receiving. Uh, system. Uh, anyway, I think a lot of people think about spiders this way. This is not the case. The, the presence of venom injecting fangs similar to hypodermic needles in a way I think could be responsible for the mistaken assumption that the fangs work both ways. Uh. But this is not true. The the fluid so the fangs inject the venom but the fluids that are coming out of the prey animal are coming in through the mouth parts the fangs are injectors the the uh, spiders do consume with a fluid sucking action but this is done through a mouth orifice powered by an or by the, by the pharynx and by an organ known as the sucking stomach
1: ooh which, i like that
0: that's great it's like a pump that, uh, that gets, you know, it creates this suction action that pulls all that delicious fluid up through the mouth parts and through the pharynx down into the digestive system. But anyway, back to the spiders that do have the teeth. So the, these are the ones that have these grinding surfaces on their chelicera. They perform instead a kind of rudimentary grinding action with these surfaces. So in science, we refer to this as mastication. Mm-hmm. It's a great word, but it just means chewing. Uh, and so these spiders also do the same thing. Essentially, they work by regurgitating digestive fluids onto the prey that d- dissolves the prey tissues and then slurping up dissolved body tissues. But in the process, they also use these cholesterol teeth to chew and mash the prey animal up into a ball of unrecognizable half-dissolved mush. So they're tenderizing and
1: soupifying at the same time. Exactly. They're they're,
0: they're creating bolus, the same mm. way you actually do with your mouth. You know, they say when you chew food in your mouth, you sort of chew into You're a chewing ball. Chewing and
1: liquefying of, at the same yeah, time. chewed
0: yeah. up uh uh, mashed, uh, this is really gross, a chewed up, mashed up ball of food, known sometimes as a bolus that you then swallow.
1: Yeah, and- next time, I highly encourage anyone, next time you're eating, because I think about this all the time from an episode uh, uh, we did uh, a few years back mm-hmm. on digestion, but you can actually, if, if you're conscious of it, you'll find yourself sitting there chewing and just feeling as your your mouth automatically liquefies uh, chews up and then forms all of this into a, a slurry bolus that then goes down the throat. That's, yeah, <laughs> great. But, but what's it like to be that
0: bolus? That, that's what we're wondering today. Oh. I guess at this point you're probably not aware of what's going on anymore because it, the, the, the mastication process um And the dissolving of the digestive enzymes work together to sort of reduce you to an unrecognizable ball of gunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you become this mush and then they consume you via the old in and out that we discussed before. In the end, leaving behind only sort of indigestible parts like shells or maybe in some rare cases, bones and feathers. Uh, so, uh, these spiders also have a process for vomiting back up hard, inedible body parts that are accidentally slurped up along with nutritious, dissolved meat from the prey. Hmm,
1: not unlike an owl. Okay. Oh, owls do that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that. Owl pellets are, um, an indigestible stuff that they, uh, they oh, vomit back up.
0: Yeah. Vomit. Oh, I always mm. thought those came out the other end.
1: No, no, no. Yeah, these come, these come out the mouth.
0: No, uh, yes, spiders actually, they produce pellets. This has been Ah. shown in research that, uh, indigestible parts, they, so they go down the, they go down the mouth parts and then they get sort of like, uh, I believe they, they get sort of caught by these, uh, pharyngeal muscles and uh, by, uh, setae again, these bristle structures that sort of filter them and catch them. Stuff that's not good to eat gets Mm -hmm. sort of balled up and then ejected
1: back out. Huh. Interesting. Delicious. (laughs) Delicious. <laughs> but, of course, this brings us back to the question, though, what about vertebrates? Uh, yeah. We are vertebrates. Can we look to examples of spiders preying on other vertebrates, other yeah. smaller vertebrates? If there were a giant spider, would it even want to eat us? Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, would it just be looking for, like, where are the, uh, you know, equally sized insects for me to eat? Yeah. Obviously, the primary prey animals of most spiders are going to be other arthropod invertebrates, mainly insects. Uh, but what happens when the food chain runs backwards? Do spiders ever seem to eat vertebrates on purpose, even mammals? Yeah. Yeah, this does happen. It doesn't happen that often, but it does happen. Uh, one example I want to look at is a paper by, uh, a 2013 paper in PLOS 1 by Martin Neifeller and Mariam Nornschild. And this was called Bat Predation by Spiders. It's about what you guess it is from the title. They tried to catalog recorded instances of spider predation on bats. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a bat meets an unfortunate end. It gets stuck and tangled in a spider web. Sometimes after that happens, the spider begins to eat. So the authors judge that in many of the recorded instances, it looked like what had happened uh, when a bat died in a spider web was what they would call a non-predatory bat. Death. The bat just got caught in there, got exhausted or dehydrated or something, and it died, and the spider didn't even bother feeding on it.
1: It didn't even, probably, yeah, like it didn't even know what to do with it.
0: Right. Yeah. In other examples, however, they identified what they thought looked like genuine predation, where the spider appeared to attack, kill, and then eat the captured bat. Hmm. Uh, they also point out that these cases of bat predation, where it at least seemed to them that the spider was genuinely preying on the bat, might inform our judgment of a hypothesis and this is not necessarily known but it's a hypothesis in uh, arachnology the large rare prey hypothesis and essentially what this suggests is that while most of the prey animals that are captured by large orb-weaving spiders are going to be tiny little insects of low nutritional value, quote, the occasional catch of large, energetically rewarding prey may be essential in order to fulfill the reproductive needs of large orb-weaving spiders. So according to this hypothesis, if it's correct, you've got these spiders that most of what they catch is just junk. It's Mm -hmm. insect garbage. Every now and then, they hit the jackpot. And when they hit the jackpot with a really large insect like a cicada or something, or perhaps even a mammal like a bat or a frog or some other small vertebrate. They get this huge nutritional windfall that allows them to have a, a much greater chance of reproductive success.
1: All right, so they're kind of like a criminal that's pulling off a lot of petty little jobs, but still has to carry off one big heist, right? Every so often to sustain things.
0: It's like the the beginning of the Sting. You know, the grifters mm-hmm. are knocking people over for a few bucks here and there by stealing their wallets until they accidentally steal the wallet of a guy who's running money for an illegal casino, mm-hmm. and they, they got these thousands of dollars. But of course, in that scenario, the gangster then comes after them. I don't know if there's well, a bad But equivalent. this
1: this underlies the the problem of going after larger prey that you see th- through, throughout the animal kingdom. Yeah, and that's that. Yeah, the, those larger prey come with greater risk. You got to extend more expend more energy, possibly risk uh, injuring yourself or even dying at the hands of the larger prey that you're going after. It's a it's a risk, but that's that's what that's great. Rewards come with greater risk. So they do. Yeah. I was eaten by
0: a giant spider. <laughs> okay, so that's what it's like to get eaten by a giant spider. I hope you enjoyed it. And I, and I hope you enjoy being eaten by a giant spider because they are coming.
1: Yes. And, uh, you know, we, th- this is actually a great opportunity. Uh, we just started a thing. We're experimenting with a thing where we're doing Facebook live videos. And looking at trailer footage from old films. Oh yeah. So there might be a possibility here with this episode. Oh, this could be
0: great. We could look at some uh some old nineteen fifties uh spider yeah. movie trailers.
1: Yeah. Let's ch- check in on our Facebook page and see if that's happening. Maybe we can make that happen the Friday after this airs.
0: I just wanted to clarify. I was kidding about the spiders coming, by the way. I meant coming <laughs> from space. I didn't want to suggest that I think that we're, they're evolving in that direction. Well, I know some
1: something. people do listen to this show as they're falling asleep. So I uh-huh. would hate for that thought to, to enter into their vulnerable, uh semi-dreaming mind and plant any seeds Yeah, we're not here to plant spider seeds in your head. That's for the 27 spiders that crawl into your mouth each night.
0: Yeah, let me retreat and become responsible for a moment. In my final final moments here, I want to remind you yet again, spiders are your friend. They're not your enemy. No reason to fight them. And number two, there's never going to be a giant spider on Earth.
1: Alright, well hey, if you want to learn more about this topic uh, or other related topics head on over to StuffToBuildYourMind.com That's the Mothership, that's where you'll find all the episodes you'll find some videos such as our recent Monster Science uh, uh, series that came out for Halloween this year and we're continuing to celebrate Halloween pretty much throughout the rest of the year so you can keep uh, enjoying that ride with us also you'll find links out to our various social media accounts like Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr and Instagram and uh, then of course there's the old fashioned way as well Of
0: course, you can always email us if you have uh, feedback on this episode or any other or want to suggest a topic for the future at blowthemind at For
3: more on this and thousands of
0: other topics, visit howstuffworks.com
1: What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History.
2: eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors,